Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Six. And Father, I have been listening to you here about being attentive in reading the, the gospel, slowly reflecting upon what they mean, and really try to get, you know, a, a conversation going about how Jesus would react to, to our current situation. Going back to the analogy you gave about a month ago, praying like a pirate. And one of the passages that I was at here. I think might be like fundamentally changing the way I think about things. And what had always given me hiccups, and I believe it's because I was looking at it the wrong way, was when Jesus is on the cross, the moment of his theoretical most intense pain, when he does the prayer, um, Sorry, I'm getting caught up here. When he does the prayer of how am I get, Father, how am I getting forsaken? My God, my God, I am forsaken. I, I'm, I'm saying that a little bit wrong, but, but you know what I'm talking about. And my entire life, kind of until this thought, and this might be a rogue thought and it might be completely wrong, but was him saying he was in that moment of distress and fearful that he was being forsaken by God the Father. And as I was reading through it here, I think that it's actually he was teaching from the cross and he was preparing his mother um, and, and those disciples that were around him that it's going to be okay. Because if you go through that full psalm, going from one of the conversations we've had before, that this would be like if he gave the Our Father in our times, you would just write Our Father in the gospel. You, you want to rewrite the entire thing. And going off of that psalm about how it starts with despair and sadness and intensity, and it ends up with really hope, in, in my opinion, um, that thought process of just changing, he was saying it for himself versus he was using it as a teaching tool for those around him really changed the way that I looked and perceived the things. And again, I, I might be completely wrong in this new thought. I might have been wrong in the way I was thinking before. I might be wrong in both. So that's part of why I'm having this conversation here is to open it up because this is one of the questions that has always gotten to me. And obviously the cross is a big moment of our faith. So the more we can clear questions about it, the better. So I wanted to present it to you, Father, because I have a feeling that I'm not the only person that's had these questions or thoughts before. Well, as always, Joe, I love uh, the way that you are thinking and uh, especially applying some of the things that we have talked about. And <clears throat> that's really exciting for me. And I, I really hold that up as an example for our listeners to also take these gospel passages. And I, I love the way that... Uh, you take the passage, you have questions about it, and you don't turn those questions into, um, therefore, it's not true, or therefore, it's, you know, and if you can't find a path through, it's like, I don't know how to make sense of that. I'm not entirely sure what to do with that. It sounds like this. That doesn't fit so well. I'm just going to hold on to it and then see what happens over time. And it's just a great example of, uh, of a model for us that uh, I often refer back to Pope Benedict XVI in an interview that he had after his retirement. They asked him about uh, 
Peter Zavold asked him about the dark night and whether he ever experienced the dark night. And he said, well, not, not the way that the mystics describe, but I certainly have had challenging situations in, uh, in the world, things I don't have answers for. And I find that as long as I stay in it, as long as I don't run from it, you, you know, shut it down, deny it, whatever, as long as I stay in it, then over time, it has a way of opening up a new light, a new insight, a new uh, answer for me. And uh, Peter Zeevold said, uh, does that always happen? He said, no, not always. <laughs> but even that it happens sometimes is really significant. So all of that is to say, um, great that you're reading the gospel. You're reading gospels that you don't totally understand, as all of us have passages that we're like, what's that about? That seems like, you know, like some of the passages from Our Lady, Jesus saying like, woman, what is your concern to me? Like, well, what does that mean? I mean, like, what is he yelling at his mother? Like, that doesn't seem to fit. And rather than just saying like, yeah, Jesus really hates his mother. You know, that's the interpretation of that passage. You know, a, a, a person, a, a faithful person is going to say, okay, that's what it seems like at face value. I don't know exactly what that means. I'm just going to hold on to it. Keep the question open. See what comes in my own prayer. See what things I discover as I listen to podcasts and read commentaries and things like that. So just really affirming your method, we could say, in, uh, in doing that. And the, the fact is, you'll find different answers to that question. And, and part of that is because there, Jesus is always doing a bunch of things at the same time. So I think your uh, insight is, is perfectly valid as something that Jesus is doing to teach us. And you're absolutely right. The Psalm 22, which begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ends in a note of triumph and glorifying God with hope. And so uh, in exactly the way that you said, uh, normally we wouldn't quote the entire Our Father. We'd say, then he prayed the Our Father. We all know what that means. And uh, that would include the whole prayer as this would include the whole psalm. So, and that that it, the idea that it's a teaching that Jesus intends for this to be recorded and passed on, uh, he's instructing those who are immediately present, which is just a couple. But even that, you know, he is also one with the Holy Spirit, who would be the principal author of sacred scripture. He could also intend that these things be recorded and be passed on. He could even intend that it was specifically a teaching for you, Joe, <laughs> and. You know, that's what divinity can do. He sees everything in a glimpse. And so, you know, a lot of human actions that Jesus carried out in his lifetime could have been precisely teachings for those whom he never met in his humanity in his lifetime, but anticipated would come after, you know. So, uh, so there's a lot of different possibilities in that. What you said is, uh, let me just say, I think that's true. I think there are other things that are also true. And so without playing one off of the other as a right and a wrong, uh, Jesus is always doing a bunch of things at the same time. Uh, so another way to approach that passage is that, um, well, just, just Jesus supporting himself. I mean, so giving a, like you said, giving a model for us, but, but not just kind of play acting in a, in a way that he's trying to give us a model that he himself is not living out, but, but actually that he found strength himself in his humanity to pray that psalm and to, you know, remind himself, make the, the uh, adherence again to, um, to his love and trust in God the Father and that that really supported him in his humanity, 
that praying the Psalms, he would have, as a Jewish man, you know, he would have had all the Psalms memorized, essentially. That was a, just kind of a normal part of religious formation. Uh, or, uh, yeah, uh, anyway, that's what people usually say. It's a little bit hard to imagine precisely. But uh, anyway, he, he would uh, certainly conceivably have had that Psalm memorized and praying it even in the midst of his agony. I mean, we can't uh, overestimate the the depth of his suffering in that moment just at a totally human physical level it was horrendous and if you've been through terrible suffering your mind shuts down and you know so there's already a demonstration of divine strength coming through some of that but but that in the place where he's got nothing left so innovating prayers is not happening that he's turning to the psalms and he's praying through these things and maybe prayed through a number of psalms maybe that was just one example he also says into your hands i commend my spirit which is not the first word but part of psalm 31 and uh you know so jesus is praying in this moment of horrendous pain and he's praying some of these specific psalms that are mentioned that's a teaching for us. Another proposal that, that theologians have made and that I, I also really appreciate is that in his humanity, Jesus is entering into our experience of forsakenness. And, and so um, we experience the weight of suffering that makes us feel separated from God. In some cases, because of our own sins, we are really separated from God. and. Uh, so one line of, of thought is that, that Jesus is entering into this place of uh, the experience of human separation from God caused by sin. Not to say that Jesus sinned, but uh, St. Paul does say in uh, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21, God made him to be sin so that uh, we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, and that's also uh, what St. Peter says, essentially, quoting from Isaiah, that he took our wounds on himself. He suffered from our iniquities. And uh, it's by his stripes that we are healed and he has become the redemption of us all, something like that. But the idea that because he's taken our sin on himself, because he's entered into our forsakenness, that he's feeling that on the cross. And so he's crying out on our behalf from within us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Really experiencing God forsakenness, which he would experience more intensely than we would because he could see the beatific vision. He could see with clarity the Father. He still had that divine vision, but he also saw the depths of human depravity, the sum total of it over the entire history of the world everybody's depravity. So he saw the absolute worst and he saw the absolute best at the same time. And he was being, you know, you could think of it as like ripped apart in the middle of it. And so his expression of, of experiencing God forsakenness, which we get a little taste of that in a variety of ways, you know, and think of concentration camps and think of, you know, abuse victims and think of, uh, just a lot of terrible human suffering. And, and then in different ways, even our own experience from sinfulness or the sinfulness of others, rejection, betrayal, abandonment, um, we can experience those very intensely. 
And Jesus is giving us permission to say, where are you, God? Where are you in the midst of this evil? Where are you in the midst of this suffering? I feel like you are completely distant from me and that you're not doing anything about it. And that cry, which has come from so many human hearts over over the whole history of humanity, Jesus himself enters into that cry, that human cry, and he doesn't condemn it, but rather embraces it and keeps it, you know, unites it to the Father. So he really gives, gives permission, you could say, but he also gives a path to redemption. He doesn't just leave it there. But, but he does come through the resurrection. He does come through the end of Psalm 22. He does come to a place of hope. So now I just like dove into a lot of stuff. So people have written dissertations on this and there's a lot of literature in this space. And anyway, you didn't know what a, uh, a treasure trove, but also uh, an abyss you opened up in your, in your reflection, Joe. Well, it, it, I don't know if, if I'm trying to do that. It was more so... Like if, if you've ever played with like toy magnet things, um, that that like for childhood, that if you get it set the wrong way, it will fight you. Just the magnets themselves inherently will fight you. But if you just click it the right way, the whole structure kind of comes together. Or if you're using toy trains, they all just start working. Um, depending upon what what age level of the toy we're talking about here, and I, I just felt like that thought process that. It wasn't about him feeling that he was denied or forsaken, um, but actually teaching really kind of made those magnets click together and create a much stronger connection. Because going off of your starting point here, the faith has been around for 2,000 years. If there was a glaring hole at the most important part, it wouldn't last for 2,000 years. I mean, I'm just looking at that from a basic structural standpoint. You know, you're not going to build a a tower with a broken foundation. It will not last 2000 years. And that's just a fundamental fact. So I took that as, well, I'm doing something wrong in the way that I was thinking about this, this, this had to be the case. And that's, that's one of the things that I guess you you mentioned there in the beginning of, of sitting with, with the issue and the thought and, and letting it have some time because we have discussed many times, it's really the fruit of your labor, especially over the long term, is where you see the, the truth and the answers within. And in my case, I was looking at the totality of the faith. You know, it has been based upon the gospels, which were written in the first century. And that means there's been at least 2,000 years, give or take some math, that people have been going off this thinking about it and the entire thing didn't implode. So therefore it was my fortunate fault uh, rather than, than that. So I kind of start with that as, as when I'm misunderstanding stuff as the assumption. And it also would make sense that, well, I'm not going to be the only person who had this thought why people would dive into this. And you have so much rich literature from various people who come to the correct conclusions. And I just think that that's that's one of the great things of when we look at the one body of the church, you know, there's some people working on different parts of it. And, you know, there's no way any of us can do it all so that it's not a a sin in the sense that I didn't get it right the first time. I guess what I'm trying to say, because I think that that's a fear that many people have is that if I don't come to the same conclusion or if I even ask a question, well, I'm doing it wrong and I'm going to cause problems. 
And I think that what you just gave the example of there, especially when you're talking about uh, Pope Benedict, is that it, this is going to happen sometimes. You're going to have thoughts and questions that you don't have the full answer to. And being in prayer is a great solution to that. And Jesus, in his moment of intense pain, has a great solution to that, too, telling you that this is what you're supposed to do. Um, doesn't mean everything's going to be awesome. You know, if that was the case, I wouldn't be hanging on the cross right now. There's going to be times that things are bad, but that doesn't mean that you need to separate or that you even should separate um, from God. So with that being said, Father, I, I, I certainly um, thank your insights and, and your teaching on that. I want to give you a chance to conclude here um, as we're coming towards the end of the episode. Well, I guess to, maybe just to uh, zero in on that passage again, you know, it is a, it is just a, a beautiful indication of how Jesus really enters into our suffering. So there's always a temptation to think he doesn't care that much. You know, I need to fix this thing. I caused this problem to myself and God doesn't really care about it. He doesn't enter into it. He doesn't understand it. Um, what does Jesus know about the kind of suffering that I'm going through? Um, what does Jesus know about depression or about anxiety? Or what does Jesus know about, um, you know, abandonment and the way that I'm experiencing it? And we can have a lot of those kinds of objections, which are very understandable. And uh, I spend a lot of time entering into those places with people. It's one of the ways that people get an experience of it is because another human being is willing to really listen and really take it in and not just shut them down. You know, there's, there's always a danger to say, oh, um, no, Jesus does understand. Look at, you know, look at this passage in the gospel. Well, what they may need right in that moment is for you to understand, for you to enter into their suffering. And so that's a, a good, good lesson for us. But um, I, I would just, I, I would point anybody who is maybe in that place of suffering, of loneliness, of abandonment, of isolation, and just say, yeah, I want to give you permission to be there. And then I can do another little kind of thought experiment or invitation for prayer and say, what was it like for Jesus to experience that? You know, we get these words that come out, but what's his inner experience? What's going on in his heart? What um, what kinds of temptations or thoughts might be coming up for him? Well, my best access to that is to go to somebody who's experiencing something like it. And if that's you, then you have something really to offer. And and just to be able to look at your own experience of abandonment, of betrayal, of loneliness, of that kind of agony, of uh, isolation, and and to look at it and say, what's it like? Because what your experience is like is pointing, is, is really an act of, uh, we could say, sort of contemplative prayer or even a sort of mystical prayer. You're entering into the mystery of Jesus's own suffering. You're experiencing what he is experiencing in that moment. He is experiencing what you're experiencing. And so you're learning the interior of his heart by your being there. And so um, just, a, just one invitation that we could draw from that particular uh, example. And, uh, and then just to come back to your insight, Joe, that, um, as I said, is, is a very, is a beautiful insight. Um, there, there's always a reason for hope, even in the worst circumstances and, and maybe even praying some 22 concretely, which gives you permission to say, my God, my God, why have you for, uh, forsaken me? 
and then also keeps you moving, keep going through it until you get to a place of praise and thanksgiving as Psalm 22 gets to in the end. And uh, that can be a great way to pray if you're in the midst of an experience like that. Yeah, and um, just this is my personal, I don't know if this is done the same way throughout the church worldwide, but the way that that's the re- responsorial Psalm on Good Friday it's always like the saddest part of the mass and the way that that Psalm is done at least for the way that it is in my church um, doesn't really ever get to the hope part. It just dwells in the, the saddest. I get the, the point of the good Friday mass is to, to make it very concrete and clear that Jesus died and it is the funeral for Jesus in some ways. Um, but it, when you actually go through and read it, it's, it's a little bit different. So, Father, I'm actually going to continue next week with, with a question that, that going off similar to this, that actually I think you led in pretty good with the abandonment part. So we appreciate everyone being with us. We are definitely hitting new levels. It feels like every month I'm talking about how the last month was our, our new and highest month. We thank everyone for being with you. If you have not yet, please leave a star and a rating um, on whatever service you're listening to it, it does dramatically help us. You, by doing that, is a big reason why we are starting to jump up so heavily. So we thank you all. And as always, share this with someone who you think could benefit from it as well. We'll be with you again next week.